I'm tired of everything is the problem. I am not optimistic about anything right now. Me neither. You're entering not, a dark phase? I'm not optimistic either. As you know, I've stopped recycling. <laughs> and now I've stopped apologizing for it. I don't recall you apologizing, but go ahead. I've been apologetic because people come over and they're like, do you have a recycling bag? And I'd be like, no. But now I just go, no. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Hey, everyone. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Good. Listeners, we are recording this in the morning. We usually record at night, and Lord, are we wide awake and ready to go. This is Maybe the tea. Is palpable. What's that? No, maybe it's the tea. Yes, maybe it's, it's the tea, tea instead of the liquor. That's Hello, what it is for Trisha. I was gonna say because usually at night Trisha's, you know, getting whiskey <laughs> deliveries, tequila. Listen, audience, I'll just admit I have been on a on a gimlet run. Okay, I've been really enjoying gin gimlets, and so I always often get my sister to make me a little gimlet, and it's it keeps me going. But you're right, the tea is a different kind of Trisha. It's, we have tea Trisha today. I love it. <laughs> Not Gimlet Trisha. Tea Trisha. Yeah, we get Gimlet Trisha. She or, or we get Brandy Snifter Trisha. Usually, she's swirling, she's splashing it. We're like, hey, we, she's like, you guys are jerks, and we're like, hey, stop splashing that whiskey on us. Oh my gosh. So, uh, what's new in your world? What's going on? Anyone have anything new and exciting? Well, I just returned from a trip abroad. I had went and oh. had a nice little break. I was doing it well because I went to see Wimbledon, which, you know, fun, okay. fun. Um, I didn't God. enjoy anybody that won, but God, we are so privileged. Sometimes I can't. <laughs> no, it was fine. Listen, I was working real hard and I don't know if this privilege extended to the fact that I was on a flight with no one wearing masks again. Oh, well. And I did the best I could. I wore my mask. Oh, and I had just a delightful time. I'm going to probably save it for my recommendations, but I know Chris has a problem with live shows as recommendations, but I also saw a lot, saw a live show. You want to talk about it? Because I do have a problem with live. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> no one can be like, oh, I like that recommendation. Let me buy a flight, buy to a London, ticket. You know what I mean? See a show on the West End. So tell, you know what? tell the Did people tell what you, you enjoyed. Tell the because, people. Because we've commercialized this so much. I know this show is going on the road, y'all. So I saw Six, which is about the wives of Henry VIII. And it was delightful. The reason why I actually want to, went to see it there, because I see it's coming to LA and it is in Broadway. And I think they're doing a whole tour. It's been on I heard that it was the original cast and crew <gasps> returning for that week to tape. So I was like, okay, well, this is great. Let me just see, you know, because another thing I'll say to anyone, if you all are traveling to a specific region, take a look at what's going on locally, arts-wise. And if somebody's well-regarded there and they're performing, just hop on it because that's, the, that's kind of the rarity of seeing shows it place-based things right so it was the original crew returning loved it they were so great the wives were wonderful again um five of the six wives well no let's say four of the six wives were black which i enjoyed oh really there was an asian member and then a white girl and when i was watching it the only thing i could think about was my bff chris would love this it is so spice girls 
I'll have you know, I saw it in London while I was in town to see the Spice Girls. So you can feel it, it right? Was, it was a perfect girl power weekend for me when I was there. <laughs> I was I was filled up with girl power, although I can never have too much, I think. I know. So think of six as kind of clueless for the Henry VIII story. But the only thing I wondered about is like, I feel like the English people are used to talking about Henry VIII and his wives more thoroughly than we are. So maybe some of the inside jabs... I missed because I just don't know it that no, well. That's fine. So imagine those people watching <laughs> Hamilton. Same thing. Exactly. <laughs> that's true. Same stuff. Jason. Uh, well, except that you... Americans, we don't know our history anyway, so we don't get the joke. Yeah, they're like, we love that Ooh, all these true. black people founded the country. Jason, um, what what international theater have you been taking in? Um, well, well, actually, my my wife and her cousins and I, we did our second annual cousins trip. We went to Cabo. And um, it was without the kids, without the kids, Thank all God. adults. It was awesome. The kids are the only reason we bothered coming back because I, I really had a great time. I was, actually, it's funny you asked that question because they did. They did. There was a show at, on the resort. It was one of these like really low key, you know, on the resort shows. But it was a group of break dancers, all of whom were Mexican. They were unbelievable. And as we walked out, my wife's cousin turned to her and said, we were just out Negroed. That's a fall. So that's that's my live entertainment story. <laughs> so fun. Uh, and you're only allowed to have that comment happen because you love black people. Yeah, I was gonna okay. say. You know what's so funny? Like, <laughs> you know what's so funny? My boyfriend is white, and he won't say that word. Black he people. Won't, he, he, <laughs> he won't say Negro. He won't say Negro. It just doesn't. I, it doesn't roll like, off the tongue, right? Because we were at. There's a, not really any good reason for a white person to use that. Well, I guess so. No, days. but we were at a <laughs> we were at a family event some months ago, and like my family, like my aunt always tells this story about how, like, back in the '50s, like the, the news would report like there's a roaming band of Negroes on Fifth <laughs> and Main or whatever. And so, like, whenever we go out in a group, I was like, everyone, someone in the family is always like, "Look at this roving band of Negroes." Then we all laugh. My poor boyfriend's like, "What?" the fuck is going on <laughs> inside joke boo like, inside, inside joke he's like we're negroes it's fine and he's it's just like he won't say it but uh also i heard someone else i heard some other black person on a podcast whose boyfriend's white said that his white boyfriend won't say salt and vinegar chips <laughs> he won't say it he'll be like can i have some salt and vin he won't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, any damn way. All right. Let's- can, I, can I take one moment to just say that this is something we, my wife and I've been talking about. It's come up yeah. in a diff- couple of different cases. What pisses me off so much is the the stereotype of the like fried chicken and watermelon. Because like what ethnic group doesn't like fried chicken? That's what and I watermelon? was. You know what? It's That's so what I'm always ridiculous. saying. Ridiculous. Who doesn't like fried chicken? Raise your hand. <laughs> Everyone. It's the only thing I miss Raise as a vegetarian. Hand. I wish yeah. I could have fried chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Watermelon Ridiculous. I can pass on, but then again, I don't like fruit. So, but like people oh, seem yeah, to natural. enjoy it. That's right. <laughs> I, so, I, I can't stand you. This is the last day of our acquaintance. <laughs> what? That's ju- wait. A, that's the truth. That's I your eat point natural of view. food, Jason. I eat natural. I eat high I, fructose corn syrup. That, how dare that. you? <laughs> I will not be. I will not be gaslit, gatekept, or, or girl bossed on this podcast. I, uh, a lot of things you won't be. <laughs> I, I would, you know what? I wish we had recorded was when uh, I tried to get you to eat a piece of dragon fruit. Okay. And 
So <laughs> let me tell you this story, right? Jason oh, comes over. He's like, hey, eat this dragon fruit. I'm like, I really don't like fruit, Jason. We've, we've met before. Dragon fruit, when you cut it open, looks like if you chopped off a tentacle of some ancient sea creature, it's disgusting looking. It's That's disgusting, why it's so tasty. You know, and then the texture of it is gross. And he's like, oh, just eat it, just eat it. And I was like crying. I was like, please, I don't want to. He's like, just do it, screaming at me. It was, it was quite the scene. And oh I, my goodness. There were lies in that story of omission and actual that's lies. That's fine, but, but we don't we actually have time on. to go into on. it. Okay, so that's on. just the story we're left with. And there it is. But I don't, dragon fruit's nasty, y'all. It's nasty. What does it taste like? Because I had it in my mouth for a second before I threw up. I'm not sure it was quite a second. You well, spit it out like at the moment of contact. <laughs> well, the, that's, a, that's absolutely true. Well, I just wish I had friends that didn't want to feed me things that made me throw up. So anyway, I'm so sorry I was trying to make you feel better oh at a time that you were not in good shape. I'm oh so God. sorry. <laughs> and dragon fruit was going to be the bomb. Okay. So moving on from this, this tale of, of, of abuse. <laughs> Let's talk about our topic. So this week, well, first of all, have you seen the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once? It was my recommendation a couple of weeks ago, and it is amazing. There was an article in Vox recently which talked about the emergence of the um, parental apology movie. So in Everything Everywhere All at Once, and I won't spoil it too much, but in it, we have a story about a mother and a daughter. They're immigrants, they're Chinese immigrants. And at the end of the movie, after there's all this discussion about their relationship, the mother apologizes to the daughter for saying either I've been too hard on you, I don't understand the modern condition, you're doing the best that you can. This is a marked move away from the movies that the three of us grew up with, where usually if there was a cultural clash between parent and child, the movie resolved with the child looking at the parent and being like, I had no idea how much you sacrificed for me, you know, which is Enter Joy Luck Club and all those other movies in that vein. So what I wanted to talk about is what do you think about this kind of new parental apology movie? In the article, they mentioned the animated movie um, Turning Red and also a couple of other movies, most of which I've not seen, but a bunch of them seem to be animated, which means they are being consumed by young people. So what do you think about this? What do you think about this shift culturally, Trisha? I mean, I think the thing that I thought about immediately is that movies are reflections of their creators, right? And whatever the angst are. And so it's interesting to think of ourselves as representing a kind of the creative class. And so now we're mining our childhood and producing and thinking mm -hmm. through the issues because that explains to me all the other kinds of movies. Yeah, so these are sort of the Generation X preoccupations. I liked it. I thought it was an interesting conceptualization of the parent finally taking center stage and unpacking their own trauma, um, tra trauma, but also their responsibility to not continue to traumatize. Okay, Jason. Yeah, very insightful, Trish. I, I enjoyed that. There, there are two things I, that really strike me about this. The immigration aspect, I've been reflecting on a lot since I read that article. I thought the article, by the way, was very insightful and, and just pointed out some patterns that I, I had not seen. I find it really interesting just to think about, and I just think we've had waves and waves and waves of this in our country, of people who come to this country because they want their kids to have a better life from an economic standpoint, freedom standpoint, but aren't necessarily thinking about the assimilation that is going to occur. So I think about like my great grandparents and, you know, coming from insulated Jewish communities in Europe and coming here 
not because they wanted their kids to intermarry, which I've done. It's certainly not because they wanted their kids to stop going to synagogue, um, which I've done, but because I want to have a better life. And so it's just, it's really interesting. And then I think of, you know, I can think of folks I know who are first gen, who, you know, coming from Asia or West Africa, where, you know, their parents, like, it seems to me like there was never even a thought of like premarital sex would become a thing, let alone marrying outside of the ethnic group. So that's just, I find that like just an interesting thing to reflect on just the, I don't know what to call it, but just the, the challenges and the unforeseen consequences in the, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. First of all, just a phenomenal film. Thank you oh for the recommendation, God. Chris. Oh phenomenal film, phenomenal acting, just so imaginative. And I thought the the apology there was like, I mean, she was really shitty to her daughter. I mean, you know, she went over to her. You thought she was just say something touching. And she's like, you're getting fat. You got to lose weight. And Which, she just. By the way, if, if you're listening to this and you have an immigrant parent, you, you've heard that before. Totally... I mean, this is a Jamaican compliment. Uh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're getting fat. Yeah. And you're like, what? the fuck sorry jason go ahead yeah, and, and you know the the uh you know spoiler alert the daughter is uh she's gay and mom's clearly not accepting of that and ends up apologizing and i don't think either of you saw turning red i did see that a couple months before i saw everything everywhere all at once and while again i i like the article it points out these these um similarities there's immigration involved there's the parental apology but that movie i'll just tell you the kid, from my point of view, and you know, maybe speaking as a parent, was so disrespectful and inappropriate with their parent. And with that, I mean, Habby and I, we watched it with our kids. And at the end, we see the mom kind of apologizing. We were like, what the hell? This, kid's need, this kid needs to be put like in place. It was not about like an identity issue or like the parent not accepting the child for who they were. Like the kid, and, and it really bothered me. Like, I felt like it was a case where it's like parents kind of need to back off. Like the message of the movie was like, you know, as kids grow up and, you know, their, their sexuality comes into play, like they should be able to express it however they want. And like, even if they're being disrespectful to their parent, like when they talk about it, I don't know. So it was, it was interesting. It's interesting to me to think about the nuances, but the article was very, very insightful. I, I am very intrigued by this idea, right? Because like, like Trisha had said, and we're always saying on this podcast is that, you know, the things that we consume are educative, right? And they're reflective at the same time. It's a, you know, it's a snake eating its own tail, right? So I, what I find really interesting about this is that I grew up as someone who had foreign parents, as it were, parents who immigrated. I grew up on these movies where I was told point blank that I had to be really appreciative and respectful of what my parents went through in order to give me the life that I had, Right. And so that is very much my mode. And I say that all the time. I say that all the time. My parents were far from perfect parenting, but you know, I always say they did the best they can, even though they made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. You know what I'm saying? I feel like a kid today would look at that and be like, well, I'm owed an apology for the way that I was brought up. You know, like I don't, you know, mom, you were, when I was four and you, you know, made me switch out my bed, I was mad about it. And I want to talk. And it's like, I, I don't have any context for, context for that. That seems, seems very Gen Z. It seems very millennial to me, you know? And what's interesting about this spate of movies is sort of like, what can we say now about that assimilation experience that you talked about, Jason, right? Is it that parents should 
not should, shoulds are hard. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying these movies are dictating any kind of behavior or social movement. But what I'm saying is that, so is the idea, the lesson we're trying to take from these movies is that parents should show up, do the best that they can, right? And, and, and then what? Allow the child or the younger person to decide if it's enough, if uh, they did it right. I, that's, that's the part I find really interesting. I was like, how does, how does that work? You don't have all the information, young person. I mean, I think that's a tricky thing, right? I mean, I, to I was I was listening to Jason's feedback about the movie Red, Turning Red, and I was just laughing because I think I think certain things are not absolute, right? And so the question of what is respectful is an interesting question, attention for me, as from a parent perspective, which is you know if you if for my parents it was like children are seen and, and not heard right and so the yeah, idea just, of, if you talk and i didn't ask you a question you're be, being disrespectful you're being uh, disrespectful i'm kidding, I'm kidding. well I'm kidding. no but i mean that's that's uh, usually that was that, real that's homes. real yeah. exactly right and so when when a parent feels that the kid is being disrespectful is that what you mean or is it disrespectful for the for the child to sort of articulate their feelings of anxiety and pain and that the parent has actually led um directly caused it so mom when you yeah mom when you said this it really hurt my feelings you know some parents will read that as truly disrespectful and for us I think for millennials and for folks below that age group they're like no this is us owning our feelings stepping into it and tell and 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 asking you to take responsibility for maybe not how you made us feel but that you were contributing to making us feel small it's funny that you, you should say this because I was just watching an old video of a poet and she was, she's a well-regarded poet. Her name escapes me right now. I'll, Nikki Giovanni. And they were talking to her about why she loved Tupac so much. Right. And Nikki was really funny. She said, listen, am I going to go to the club and dance it up to, you know, to Tupac's lyrics? No, that's not for me. But I can't be dismissive of his, of the, the love people have for him. If you care about your children and they love a thing, pay attention to it and try to figure out what parts of it you can consume and what parts of it is just not for you because you're not out there shaking your ass, you know? And I think for me, that's the underlying question for parents is when do you say, listen, it's not for me. You're right. For my generation, it was Elvis shaking his hips. For you, it's twerking. Let's like figure out where that, you know, those boundaries are. But I think sometimes there's this sense of like absolute, complete inability for parents to recognize that times have changed, that the rules are different for their kids. And um, and I think that that interaction is partly what keeps you, I think, hip a little, a little bit hip. I'm having a hard time because like one... Even in coming into this topic, I was like, okay, Chris, do not sound like an old man on the podcast. <laughs> by the way, by the way, too late. You, you kind of, when you're like, these Gen Zers want an apology. We knew better. Generation X, we knew better. No, I just, I, I'm That's really. given. Let's and just maybe, start off with the baseline. You know what, Gen, actually. Generation X, Gen, I mean, I Gen, to, Gen X is the best. Also, so I let's need to, start there. And also, hello. But also, I just need to be genuine because I'm trying to reserve oh. myself. But like, this is my podcast, too. So, OK, so this is the thing. Where do you draw the line? Is, is, is the role of parents to be hip? Not hip, maybe, not hip and permissive, but to be of the moment and understand the tensions that's happening with your children. OK, that but, I think. But is I important. think the operative word here is to understand. Right. Yes. Because does under does understanding towards tolerance and appreciation understand towards just knowing like I think that's the part 
that as the generations move on, I think the demand and the expectation has become different. I remember once when I was, I don't remember how much, I might've been in lower high school, ninth grade or something. My dad had told me something. And then later on, like it was completely wrong, right? And uh, it wasn't like a factual thing. It was like something about our lives that was going to mm-hmm. be happening. And I said, I looked at him, I said, you lied to me? And he looked <laughs> right back to me and said, who are you that I can't lie to you? Uh, I and love that. Such a oh, that I'm such a I'm writing that shit down. I'm saying do that not, to my kids. Do I like not, that. Please, do not. You know, and he this just- This is my world you're living away. on, not the other way. And, you know, I was hurt, clearly, because I still remember it decades later. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, I was hurt. But also at the same time, uh, he had more information than me. You know, this was about something being delivered to the house. Yeah. So, you know, he had more information than me, you know, and like, I didn't enjoy it, but he was my parent. I sort of gave that to him. Um, But also, you know, with the understanding that when I was 18, I I, I guess I had an expectation that relationship would either change or end. You know what I mean? Um, Which I think is the part, that's the part that I can sign on for you is that I think, sign on with you. I think it's important that parents like have an understanding, a knowledge base about who their children are and what the world that their children are living in. But like you said about your friend, to participate in that world, I don't know if that's necessary. But also the apology of being like, I'm sorry I visited my intergenerational trauma on you. I don't know. Is that a conversation that should be, Jason, are you going to be apologizing to your kids about like, you know, your parents didn't do everything right? you know, and that has affected you as a person and a parent. Like, when are you apologizing to your kids for all your mistakes? Immediately. My my wife tells me I apologize way too much to my kids already. Um, But, you know, you know, it's, it's very interesting hearing where both of you are going with this. When I think about everything, everywhere, all at once, what I thought was powerful about the apology and everything that led up to it, really not so much about what it meant between mother and daughter, although, of course, that's a factor, I mean, to me, that movie, I felt like it was very much from the point of view of Michelle Yao's character. And, you know, I think she was she was like killing herself psychologically because, you know, she was trying to get her daughter. I don't think she realized this being, but get her daughter to be the the thing that like resolved things with her own father. Right. Like her own father had disowned her because she emigrated to the United States with with a guy he didn't approve of. Mm-hmm. And then she needed her daughter and her husband to make things look like they were a perfect, you know, Chinese American family. And th- that was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like that apology. And again, of course, there's a factor of what it was between them, but she was kind of letting go of like, cause again, she was killing herself trying to like squeeze things into a certain image that just wasn't going to happen. So I don't know. I found that kind of powerful. I wasn't thinking about it as much from the point of view as the daughter, as I was just from the mother of getting to the point where she could make that apology. And again, just to go back to turning red for a second. So just an example in turning red, there's a scene where like the girl, I think she's like 11 or 12 is like twerking against her mother and kind of like, accept my ass kind of thing. And it was like, what the movie is this (laughs) no i'm serious and it was like no like again i think to an extent parents need to accept their children's growing sexuality but not to that extent (laughs) it's so funny because i oh man this is really bringing up a lot of issues so first of all i think that there what i thought was really noteworthy about this question of parents owning their own narrative I think that's, I think, a really powerful thing is you recognizing that some of the things that you're putting on your children are about you rather than this kind of absolutist frame, which is, I think, the distinction I'm making. 
Chris, right? It's like sometimes some parents can say with an absolutist vision, I my word is law, right? That they'll say yeah. that with a kind of like, because I'm a parent. What I'm saying is not that. What I'm saying is, you know what? There are things that I'm processing as a parent and recognizing, and I need to make that, I need to separate that out from the way that I'm trying to parent you and tell you things for your own good, right? Which is what I'm hoping. That's a different kind of dialogue I hope that a parent can have where they're able to sort of move through that tension, which is something that happens, I think, a little bit older. Once Mm. you as a parent own your own narrative and understand that it's impacting how you're parenting. It's impacting all the other things that are going on. That's with you. a generational shift. I, as you're talking, yeah. I realize like just the mindfulness is yeah. generate. That would be way, Trisha, yeah. that'd be way too much for you and I to ask of our Jamaican parents. That well, would that's have been fine. Way too and, much. and that's fine, right? Based, because but, what but I'm by saying dint of is their age, though, by dint of their age, maybe. Mm-hmm. But you know what's interesting, right? I mean, it's so funny because like, let's talk about all the ways that we say a person's a product of their time. Mm-hmm. And when we ask people to say, everyone, you know, obviously I take a big issue. Slavery, it's a product of your time. People yeah. are like, oh no, honey, there were rapidly people against it at the time. Mm-hmm. And so- <laughs> surprisingly, there were countries that didn't engage in it. <gasps> exactly. Shock and horror. Shock and horror. So there is this notion though, that there isn't an absolute way that your parents had to be, right? This is a reflection of their own limitations. So like what when you say we couldn't ask this of our Jamaican parents, it's not Jamaican parents per se. It's a reflection of the limitations of the Jamaican parents we had. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. there were other Jamaican parents who were capable of that. But I think one of the things we tend to do is generalize that. Like, oh, parents of that age can't really, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And maybe that's true. But um, so, but I, I just I think it's really important for but. Like, you know what, but let me stop myself before I go down a road and say, but you guys all are, you two different than me, you all understand childhood development, right? So there are some things that children need to believe for them to feel free, right? Which is they need to feel like their parents understand the world. So you give them strong boundaries, right? That allows them to actually develop appropriately. So one of the things that I think is a little bit tricky about this notion of like, what do you allow for from a parent perspective is that kids need guardrails right like that's what supposedly that's required but, so but, sometimes you can't unpack everything you for your kids it. you flipped right? it you flipped it mid-thought right yeah yeah that's but, why like i kids, realized it kids need yeah. to feel safe yep. not free that's not a developmental marker kids need yep. to feel safe the free, the feeling free thing is something I've never experienced my parents giving me as a child. Well, but I think you that's know, what's happening lately, right? People are mm-hmm. talking about how do I, how do I, what, what is that tension between making my kid feel free versus safe? Because for this generation or for preceding generations, I guess, free is a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's a point to consider, but you're right. Maybe that's, that's not a marker of development. And so maybe we're missing, we're missing unless, that. <laughs> unless it is, you know, like, listen, these things are evolving. And maybe now, as we're seeing from these movies written by people in their thirties and forties, right. Who are, as you said earlier, reflecting on their own childhoods. Like this is what they're telling a fantasy of what they needed. They needed their parent to recognize that while you have made sacrifices, you do not understand how you're coping with, with the trauma of those sacrifices has impacted me. I need sure. you not to only understand that, but to enunciate to me that you do and that you're sorry. That is, that's intriguing to me. And I, I don't feel any particular way about it, like bad, good, like I don't yeah. know if you judge, like who cares? But like, I, I find that to be really intriguing because like, and Trisha, I remember you and I had a conversation in college 
where we just looked at each other and were like, you know what, our parents are who they are. They're where they're from, um, both time and place. And it's just so, so context, Jason, like when Trisha and I met, like, you know, we were just sort of like looking at our friends' parents, usually white people, like their relationships with their parents. And somehow it left us feeling wanting, like we wanted our parents to be a little bit more, I mean, hip for the lack of a better word, but like attentive and understanding in a way. And like, I remember Trisha, you and I had a conversation that just said like, hey, listen, our parents are who they are. They've done the best that they can. Um, and that's who they are, which is very sort of like not this kind of movie, right? Right. It's very yeah. much like, okay, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that, I wouldn't think that my parents could apologize for the things they did when I was growing up. I don't think they have the capacity for it just because one, they don't think about their role that way. They don't, they wouldn't think about me that way, et cetera. Um, I think it's, I think it's interesting, intriguing, and a good thing that these movies, that this reflection is happening because I think it does really take into account like parents need to be on board with their kids. I tell parents this all the time when I counsel them, like you're not, stop planning for that 15 years when they're in your house. Plan for the 55 to 60 years when they're not in your house. You told me that. (laughs) I did tell you that. Plan for the 55 to 60 years when you are still alive and they're out there making choices that will actually impact their lives and other people's. Like that's, you've got to really make sure that you hang on to that relationship. Because I think in the past, a lot of people, they turned 18 and then they just kind of like had this very perfunctory relationship with their parents because it's like, well, there's no roadmap for what happens next. So I guess we're just whatever. We're former somethings. Do you know what I mean? Well, what does that look like? Can you describe that, Which Jason? Part? Um, planning for the 55. What does that well, mean? Let me say, I mean, oh, I, I like what both of you are saying. I struggle. I mean, there's a real tension here. And I will tell you, I struggle with it every day, which is the setting of boundaries and the exercising authority. And I don't mean in any abusive way, just exercising parental authority. No one assumed that you did. Well, <laughs> you know, though, I find when you say the word authority, some people like crit, they like wince. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was in a, I was in a, a meeting once and I, we were talking about education. It was a bunch of educators not, and there, you know, there was this conversation. It's a very important one about like how strict discipline should be in a school. And I was like, well, I think it's really important, you know, that children have authority. And I, I remember this guy goes, I thought you were going to say structure. And I said, you know what? I do think structure is important, but it, that's impersonal. I think they need authority. Now it needs to be benevolent authority. It needs to be someone that they feel loves them and cares for them, but it needs to be authority that they, you know, respect setting boundaries for them. So anyway, um, I, it is, uh, you know, a daily and maybe even hour to hour challenge for me to, to negotiate the, like, when do I need to put my foot down? And like, this is a boundary you need to respect it versus when do I need to recognize my child as an individual? You know, so there are things that are easy to answer, right? Like don't go out in the street with a little kid, right? Like that's real easy, but you know, like, go to bed at nine or nine 30. Like it's uh, I find that really challenging. And and in part of it is because of this mindfulness we're talking about that has arisen. I mean, I I think of my childhood and I feel like this is total overgeneralization, but there were kind of two kinds of parents. There were the ones who were like, you go to bed at nine and there's no conversation. And the ones that like, whenever you fall asleep on the couch, I'll carry you to your bed. I mean, those were kind of like the two models. And and I'm trying to not be either one of those, right? And it's hard. It's I find it really, really hard. I mean, I think that's fair, right? One question I'm having, because I, I have to say I'm like trapped thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Are we seeing like 
what it means to be kind and I don't want to presume progress means but I mean people we we have a better handle on diseases than we ever did we have the mm. capacity to provide certain lesson ironically I mean <laughs> the fact that we don't is despite just willful. ourselves yeah. it's despite ourselves but we have the tools at our disposal to be better right mm. so is it because we have a little bit more um there's still extreme poverty but are we are these like questions of culture with some privilege this this negotiation around like these kind of like sophisticated parenting tools like I don't know like that, I, I, don't I, so anymore. that? I don't think so anymore I, I yeah. think that there is a shift you brought up Maslow's hierarchy of needs if you're not familiar with that google it um but more or less more or less you know I would say you didn't say this but I would say like growing up I think my parents were very concerned with like the base levels of that pyramid they need to make sure I had shelter I need to yep. have food I need to have structure like the self-actualization and the finding meaning in life, they were, that, that was not their Good job. <laughs> that was not their job. But now I think that the way that we construct parenting and the stories that we tell about parenting, right? Yeah. From these movies that we're referencing is really much, very much the parent being, um, if not your guide, at least your partner or cheerleader on your way to self-actualization. That's what I think young people are signaling that they wanna see from their parents and the culture. And I, I mean, there's no reason why parents can't rise to that call, honestly. I, I agree. I agree. I totally agree. But I would add, I would add to that, and this gets to my own, you know, psychological problems that I was just referring to. But <laughs> I would add to that, you know, I think because of the mindfulness, and I think the mindfulness is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people have been exposed on a number of levels to abuse of authority. Mm-hmm. And, and so I feel, again, overgeneralization there are kind of two ways you react to having been subjected to abusive authority. Either you repeat it, which unfortunately <laughs> lots of people do and you perpetuate it, mm. or potentially you become really uncomfortable exercising authority. I mean, I've seen, I think you two have probably seen, there've been articles about how there's a real crisis in our country where parents are not willing to be the authority at all. Mm, and yep. it's hurting their kids. It's causing depression. It's yep. causing all kinds of challenges. Because kids need structure. And authority needed. Can we make a distinction there? Because I know Jason said it jokingly, but I really want to make that clear. Do they need structure or do they need authority? Because I think, Jason, you are interpreting structure as authority. Well, here's what I mean. Here's the distinction I make. And this is terrible, but, you know, there are group homes that provide structure, but they may not provide a loving adult. And I'm not criticizing them. This is hard, but like a loving adult where a child feels like this adult has my back. So pause. That's what you're defining as authority. Well, that's the kind of authority I think kids need. I see. That's the kind of authority that kids need. Someone who is both willing to set the boundaries and provide support and love. Uh, I think think you're going to have, you're going to have to create a whole new term because that's what I was going to say. This is, this is why that person (laughs) loving authority, how about loving authority? That's why the person that meaning reacted when you said authority, because until you explain it, that's not what I was picturing in my head. So that's not what authority is. Like that's not, that's not what authority is for 90% of the occasion, right? Yeah. You can't talk about that for the 10% that use, uses authority that way. Yeah. You know, you may have to redefine what that really is because I think you're right. I think culturally as a model, I mean, this is why we're talking about the massive criminalization piece, right? The, the assumption is we are just going to be punitive. We're going to be harsh. And those are what people think authority means mm-hmm. is yeah. um, those are right. the standards right. of authority, right? Crackdown. A crackdown. <laughs> a crackdown. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I had a thought while you all were talking about but it, it's it, it this this really makes me this is really interesting this question of 
what parents are allowed to do and where they where they draw the line and what is this about because it does feel like safety needs are it's a really big deal you know what first I have to make sure right but I mean but I, I think I think that can be tricky for people to understand that some parents really do struggle with making sure that their kids have basic safety needs sure. met, oh, right sure. right Absolutely. you know what I mean and like oh the, this is what this is what struck me what there was a movie with an Indian guy who falls in love with a white girl Big and he's Yes, I hated Big Sick. I know you hated it. I, hated oh, I haven't sick. seen it yet. Oh my goodness, I haven't seen Big it yet. Sick. Because a little bit of what was going on was there, right? It was this dynamic between because we we're having oh. this very general conversation because we are black, we are black people, and mm-hmm. Jason loves black people, and you're Jewish, so we can talk about all of this really mm-hmm. clearly. But right, but there's some racialized elements that plays out in parenting that Big Sick I hated for that very reason, and it. Chris hinted at it about some of the conversations that we have, which is this notion that quote unquote white parents really see their kids, really listen to their kids. And it really played off that sort of stereotype. And so he was like quite intolerant of his parents. And the whole time I'm sitting here going, your parents are excellent people. They care about you. They want you to have a roof over your head. Yes, you want to be a comedian. Cute. That's great, right? But there's a reason why your parents want to make sure that you're going to have a job that's going to give you, um, provide for you. Because for people of color, that's a big deal. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But he really wanted this kind of bizarre, indulgent kind of interaction that he was having with the white parent, right? And then very dismissive of his own parents. And so there is, for me, a tension and I was actually having that as I was, as I was watching everything everywhere else too with the daughter because you know the daughter with her lesbian girlfriend I was like, whatever girl you're a little you also can't understand your parents a little bit um, there was a little bit of that for me um, you know and it's like I, I want to talk about this you know I, I want to talk about thing this was happening so I think there's also we have to really lean into race class and how that plays out around risk right? Mm-hmm. Tolerance yeah. for risk, well said. right? right? Yes. That's a huge thing. Wow. And so for Black parents, especially, it is not enough for us to say, do what you want, kids, because the consequences are very different. And for us, if things don't work out, if my parents says, girl, you don't got to go to college, blah, 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 materially, me with a degree sure. is a white person without a degree doing better than me, Sure. right? Yeah. So those things are big deals. <laughs> No, you know what? And I was going to say a whole piece, but I I don't think I can. I think that is going to be the sum up. I think that's, I just want to say in closing this, like, I think what you said is chef's kiss, you know, because I think these, this new spate of movies is very much like, you know, you need to apologize. You need to understand how hard this is for me. And in some ways the parent does understand how hard it is for you, you know, which is why they react to you in this way. Listen, parents aren't perfect. None of us are right? But this expectation that you understand everything about me and it's coming in my direction, I feel to, I just feels like maybe it's very this generation. It feels very off to me. You know what I mean? Your parents sacrificed because at the moment you were born, you were not aware of what that world was like, you know, and your parents were there as an adult and they were making choices, right? And those choices, maybe those choices lag behind because we do fall behind as we get older culturally, right? But like, I do feel like the, the description of turning red, I've not seen it, 
like like you mentioned, Jason, like the disrespect and the lack of understanding from parent to adult, um, from child to adult. Yeah. I feel like we need that. That's not going anywhere and it should not. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there has to be a healthy respect for my parents made these choices because uh, it was what was available to them at the time. Cool. I'm so glad we talked about this. We, uh, yeah, this, this was we've good. We've been trying to talk about this for weeks. Okay, everyone, let's talk. Let's move on to media recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced that you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Jason, you go first. So I, I've thought about this. There are several things I've seen and experienced. None of them are like obscure in any way. So I feel a little self-conscious. So I'm going to give one quick recommendation, one quick anti-recommendation, and oh, neither God. one will be surprising. I love um, I'll start with the anti-recommendation, which was Fantastic Beasts um, and the, the, uh, the Secrets of Dumbledore. Uh-huh. And uh, it was so disappointing. By far the worst Harry Potter movie. Um, but I also binge watched the first season of Only Murders in the Building. And I know I'm late to the party, but oh my God, do I love that show. My wife and I are... Um, fighting about she wants to wait until the whole second season has dropped before watching it. She doesn't want to have to wait for like the next episode. And I'm like, I can't wait another week without seeing another episode. Like I got to see one right now. Can you talk about only murders in the building? uh, It's so good. Martin short, Steve Martin, Selena Gomez. They are junkies for a true crime podcast. And then uh, an apparent murder occurs in their own building in New York city and they decide to start a podcast and to investigate in legal and illegal ways. It is so funny. It's very artistic. It's much, I don't, I don't know if deeper is the word, but like much more artistic than I, than I would have thought. There's kind of a surreal element to parts it's of it. It's more artistic than it deserves to be, than it, than it needs to be. I, that's that's true. the way I think about it. That's true, but I love it. I love every minute. The characters are great. It's got this kind of breeziness to it. Tina Fey has some cameos. She's fantastic. Oh. So I, good. I have to say about this is that like I love watching shows with like this super old guard, like uh, comedians or actors, because usually they just show up in the set and it just must be such a breeze for them. They've been on a hundred thousand sets. Right. It must be like the like such a fun gig for them. I mean, Steve Martin has been acting in movies my entire life. I remember seeing The Jerk when I was like six years old. <laughs> Do not yeah. show your children The Jerk at six years old. <laughs> But I mean, it's just such a masterclass of comedy and timing. So much fun. Okay, cool. I did not have high expectations. I'm like, oh, these guys and the way they interact. I mean, there's a self-consciousness about I'm an old famous person trying to interact in the modern world. (laughs) One quick line when they're trying to decide whether to text or call Selena Gomez and uh, Martin Short pauses and he goes, they don't like when we call. I don't know why. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I love that. It's love just, it. It's just an aside to no one. An aside to no one. It's so funny. So <laughs> good. <laughs> I love that line. It's so good. Um, okay, uh, Trisha, what's yours? For me, it's Elvis, the movie. I've just come back from a second showing of it. I went and saw oh, it with shit. my friend, Jess, and I was just like, you know what? I, first of all, let me just say, Fodder, I, I, you know, there, it's not necessarily a movie I thought I would ever see, but I got a free preview thing, and then I was, like, kind of amped up about it. It didn't go on, and then I was like, okay, let's just see if we want to see this movie. Let's risk COVID to go into the theater for this movie. And I found it really compelling. Like, it was actually Baz Luhrmann restrained, 
right? You know, because you know the Baz Luhrmann experience. Yeah, I didn't think he could be restrained. Yeah, Priscilla, queen of the desert. But I have to say that they managed to talk about Black people's influence on Elvis, which they no one ever talks about at all. That's the only thing I want to talk about. Yeah, I know. When Elvis comes up. But what was interesting is it's a foreign director, right? So it's a foreign director covering an American subject, which I think allows for that. Because I think foreigners sometimes see Americans more clearly than Americans can see themselves. Mm -hmm. So, and particularly in terms of music history, one thing that foreign musicians are capable of educating American audiences is how much Black people shaped American music, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, so that was really interesting. And then um, I just thought they blended. I thought the way he pulled that movie together and played with some contemporary music tossed into the genre was really interesting. And telling it from the perspective of the manager mm-hmm. was really clever, I think, because it's this notion of Elvis as... Um, as a kind of snow job for the for white audiences. Like, what is it, what does it mean if I give you this shaky, shaky thing here over to the right while I'm slipping you something else? Mm-hmm. I just thought it was really, really fascinating way to tell the Elvis story. And I thought it was a good way to tell a biography. And I just was, I loved it. And I think the kid is fantastic in it. And I thought he was. I hate to say this, sorry, American actors, but I immediately assumed he was British. But actually, he's right down from right down the street. Oh, I know those are fighting words. Those oh, are fighting God. words, right, Austin Butler? Um, but he is. I have to say, it's one of those. This brought me back to movies when I loved movies and was like, this is an amazing performance by somebody I didn't know about. It's it's that kind of actor turn you know early Johnny Depp before he became crazy early whatever it is that you want to say like a performance that a 20 something year old gives and you're like wow that kid's got talent Mm -hmm. like he was fantastic so I appreciated on that level and then I had to tell my sister because sometimes when things like that happen I'm like V you just have to see it from an actor's perspective like that kid is talented really went into it and so absolutely delight yeah i mean for me really the kid the person who played little richard was fantastic so i mean it was one of those movies where you're like oh i'm I'm not gonna see any black people in it but girls and boys there are black people in it maybe there's some problems with the tension and you could ask yourself whether it's an homage or whatever but um and i'm happy to fight about it but i thought it was a real delight and um i would totally encourage you to see it and actually see it in a theater i um i think it's well worth it i know I, I don't go to theaters, but I will take that um, in consideration. You need uh, to stop lying because we went to a theater together, probably mid-pandemic, even because now officially we're over the pandemic. So. Oh, right. It's over. It's over yes, now. Officially, uh, yes, officially. What movie did we see? Oh, Shang-Chi? Shang-Chi. Yeah, we we saw it on a Thursday morning at like one one thirty. It was like the you're first the only showing. two there. It was like you and me and like four other people in the theater. And that's the, that's the only condition I had for seeing the film. It's like, I don't want to see any other humans when we go to the theater. So that's it. I only see movies Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. And even then, no, thank you. Uh, my, so my recommendation is the Marvel Studios Disney Plus series, Miss Marvel, which is about a 16-year-old girl who lives in Jersey City who has superpowers. And she does what all the Marvel people do. She fights crime. What's amazing about this is that the um, character, Miss Marvel, her name is Kamala Khan which is different from Kamala Harris, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? But they're spelled the same. So after like four years of everyone learning how to say Kamala, now (laughs) we have this (laughs) character whose name is Kamala. And I was like, this is going to be confusing for people. And she is Pakistani. 
And that factors into the show. And I learned so much about Pakistani and Indian history and the idea of partition, which was what I learned later, the largest refugee crisis in human history. Basically, when the British left India uh, and granted them independence, they were like, okay, uh, Islam, um, Islam, India is secular and uh, Pakistan is Muslim. Uh, everyone switch sides and we're out of here. And people... <laughs> You know, millions of people died in moving from one place to another. There was so much chaos. Anyway, why do I love the show? I'm going to be really honest. To see like a young brown person join the ranks of like these super powered people was extremely moving to me. And the whole last episode when she finally gets into the costume, because you know these Marvel shows, they love to make you wait. Um, I, I just tears like I don't and I even know why I was crying I didn't know why I was crying but I was just I, I just love it representation 1000% matters uh, the woman who the woman who plays Miss Marvel she was incredible and who knew that now I'm looking forward to the movie which is the sequel to Captain Marvel called the Marvels which will have uh, uh, Kamala in it so Seems and directed by Nia DaCosta, a black woman. Oh, yeah? The one who did um, the scary movie, Mr. Candyman, the Candyman. Movie. Oh, that's going to be great. So, like, yeah. I, I see Miss Marvel. There's a lot of things saying, like, oh, this is the least watched Disney Plus Marvel offering ever. And then online people are like, well, I know I'm not the target demographic for this show. And I was like, if you like superheroes, if you like good stories, you're a target demographic. There's a whole bunch of white men in their 30s who are like, well, I'm not watching it because it's not for me because... Like what we're always saying is that why people lack imagination when it comes to a people who don't look like Superman and Batman dressing up and fighting crime. I will say that it held its numbers. So it's actually one of the movies, one of the shows that even though it didn't have the number, it held mm. tightly to its number throughout. Good. So the people who are into it are into it. Um, Rotten would- Tomatoes rated it the number one Marvel show. They have a whole like, yep. they have a whole ranking and it's it's uh, among critics. It is the, yep. the highest rated Marvel series. It's really great. It's it's really great. And by the way, if you don't get into the whole Marvel universe thing, that's fine. It's connected only insofar as if you're looking for it. They mention characters and events, but if you don't know what they're talking about, you'll never know. It doesn't matter. So watch it. Watch Miss Marvel. It's a lot of fun. Cool. So, there it is, people. We've done it again. Uh, sorry we missed last week, everybody. Uh, we're going to try to do better. And And yeah, so... Congratulations, guys. Let's go back to these morning recordings. I well, can we... So I want to propose again my time. Can we make Fridays 1230 Eastern work? Look at this. Hey, listeners, we're bringing into our logistical conversation. So why don't we talk about this later? No, <laughs> I forgot that we hadn't ended already. No, the way you were talking, I thought you were... I thought no, we were we, it's not over until I say, and on that note, everybody, <laughs> bye. 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 Bye.